Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Here we go then, new series. I'm uh, well excited about this. It's going to take us through Easter and beyond, uh, right up, I think, to uh, the May Bank holiday, which is just a couple of weekends away, when the sun will shine and we'll be gagging to get to the beach. All the usual stuff on uh, Twitter and everything else, and, uh, and so on. It's a great question, isn't it? Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Discovering your family tree, understanding something about your ancestry, your pedigree, or where you have come from, is as popular, I think, as it's ever been. And perhaps with modern ways of searching our history and television programs and so on, uh, it fuels that longing that we have to discover, to find our identity. We long to know, we need to know who we are. Who do you think you are? Or more pertinently, or more personally, the question, who am I? How do you answer that question this morning? Who, who am I? Who are you? I'm young. I'm old, I'm middle-aged, I'm lucky, I'm unlucky, I'm fat, thin, I'm spotty, I'm buff, I'm wimpy, I'm good-looking, I'm ugly, I dress well, I dress with what I have, I'm intelligent, I'm stupid, I'm smart, I'm the joker, I'm the peacemaker, I always cause a storm. I'm successful, I'm a failure, I'm an alcoholic, I'm a gambler, I'm faithful, I'm an adulterer, I'm married, I'm divorced, I'm single, I'm desirable, I'm undesirable. Who do you think you are? I'm loved, I'm hated, I'm missed, I'm valued, I'm unnoticed, I'm often unseen, I'm the life and soul of the party, I'm lonely, I'm satisfied, I'm empty, I'm lost, I'm flourishing, I'm confident, I'm scared, I'm a winner, I'm a loser, I'm free. I'm enslaved. Who are you? Who are you? Who am I? Your answer to these and so many other questions shapes your identity, shapes what you think about yourself. But who cares? And does it matter? And sometimes when we're offended about something, we'll shrug our shoulders and we'll say, well, it doesn't matter anyway. But it does matter. Our identity is a powerful, controlling force in all our lives. Your identity controls how you think, controls what you say, and therefore the way that you behave. It's that powerful. And perhaps even more powerful still, your identity will directly control and affect the way that you relate to God himself. Now it is true, so don't let me overstate it, it is true that you can act independently 
and you can think outside of your identity. But that requires more energy, more effort, and usually we sustain it for a short time, and then like an elastic band that's stretched and we let go of, we, we, we revert back to type. Our identity creates the natural base from which we view the world, respond to the world, react to the world, engage with the world. And that's why it's so important. To put in more general terms, what I think about myself deeply affects my emotions, deeply affects my thoughts, therefore affects my speech, and goes on to influence my behavior. If I think I'm a failure, it will affect the way I think and feel about myself. And if I think I'm a failure, I'm more likely to, to fail. If I think I'm a winner, then I'm more likely to succeed. In about... Form 3, which in old money is about year 8 and year 9, every Wednesday morning we had to do cross-country running. Most people hated it. I kind of hated it, but I kind of loved it. And I kind of loved it because I was okay at it. And in year 8 of uh, Cardiff High School, if I really put my mind to it, my mind to it, I could win. Most times, I would come in the top three. But in order to win, I had to really believe that day that I was going to win. The way that we think, the way that we process our identity, does go on to affect the way that we behave. We'll often say in sport, won't we, that his mental attitude enabled him to win or he lost the battle of the mind, and therefore he, she lost the match. If I believe I'm a child of God, I'm more likely to live like a child of God. If I believe I'm a sinner trapped in temptation, then I'm more likely to, to sin. Again, don't overstate it. Believing something doesn't make it true. Believing I could win the cross-country race would not in itself be enough unless I ran every day and didn't eat as many McDonald's. In fact, I was thinking, I'm not sure I ate any McDonald's when I was growing up. Does that make me deprived? Lacking in cultural relevance? No? Just old. <laughs> Just old. When did McDonald's first come to the UK? Very close, Margaret Cameron, over here to my left. Any advance on 1972? 74, who got that? Margaret, the back, excellent. don't know what that makes you, that you know that fact. But, so, that it was, what am I saying? McDonald's, I didn't need any McDonald's. So, so, it doesn't make it, just because I believe it, doesn't make it true. So don't overstate the case, but right belief about something is liberating, whereas wrong belief about something is debilitating. 
Right belief about something is liberating and pushes you forward, catapults you forward. But wrong belief about something, in the end, becomes debilitating. I could win the cross country, but I needed to believe that I could win. And if I never believed that I could win, I never would have won, even though winning might have been physically possible. Ralph Ellison in The Invisible Man famously said, when I discover who I am, I will be free. Jesus put it more profoundly, richer and deeper. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How much more is that verse true when the truth is about ourselves? Then you will know the truth about yourself, and the truth will set you free. There's a flip side to that, of course, because Jesus was the truth, and he's alluding to the fact that you need to know him the truth, of course. It's no surprise, then, that the Bible puts our identity in a fairly prominent position in the New Testament writings. just want to give three examples of the way that the New Testament uh, puts identity at center stage. We know our identity matters because of what the Father says to Jesus. There are only two occasions when we are given access, insight, into something God the Father says to God the Son when he's on earth. When was the first occasion? At Jesus' baptism. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. God the Father is addressing Jesus' identity. God the Father is declaring that Jesus' identity is important. Important to him and important to us as well. He needed to hear it, to know it, to receive it. We needed to hear it, to know it, to receive it. When was the second time that God the Father is heard to speak or say something to his son? The transfiguration, thanks Donald ever so much, up the mountain of transfiguration with the three closest disciples and again a voice comes from heaven saying, this is my son whom I've chosen, listen to him. Identity again. So the only time we hear God the Father talking to God the Son in a way that we can listen in as it were, both times identity is at the core of the conversation. So from what the Father says about Jesus... We can assume that identity matters. And if Jesus' identity mattered to be who he would be and to do the things that he would do, then in the same way, our identity matters for us to be who we are called to be and to do what we are called to do. Secondly, we know our identity matters because of what Jesus said about himself. There are seven sayings on the lips of Jesus that are kind of pillars to our understanding of who Jesus is. We find them all in John's Gospel. And uh, do you know what I'm talking about? Can you name one of them? I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the light of the world. That's the one I've got here. The bread of life. I think we've covered them all maybe now, have we? I'm the vine. And the resurrection and the life. Jesus is saying, I am myself the light of the world. I am myself the good shepherd. I am myself the way, the truth, and the life. 
seven identity statements that shaped Jesus' communication, engagement, interaction with his disciples and with the world uh, around. If I'm to live as I'm supposed to live, then I need to understand who I am. If I'm to do what I'm supposed to do, then I need to understand who I am. Which is exactly, thirdly, what the Bible reiterates through the rest of the New Testament in the way many of the letters that Paul and the others wrote to the early church. They follow a very similar pattern. Usually the first half of the book, if we take the book of Colossians, for example, it's got four chapters. The first two chapters are all about identity, about the identity of God, the identity of ourselves, and how we relate to God out of that identity. Then having talked about, got clear, got straight, who God is and who we are, then it goes on to how we should think and therefore live. So at the turning point of the letter to the Colossians, uh, verse 1 of chapter 3, the second two chapters, it says, since then, as a result of all that you've discovered is true about you, since then you have been raised with Christ, all the stuff we've been talking about in chapters 1 and 2, Therefore, set your hearts on things above. Put to death, therefore, verse 5, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Orthodoxy, right thinking, leads to orthopraxy, right behavior. And so, the, again and again, the Bible is reaffirming to us, we must get our identity straight, because who we are and the way that we live flows from it. Take Romans as another um, example. Uh, first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, is almost all about identity. Who God is and who we are. And then there's this great turning point, uh, verse 1 of chapter 12. Therefore, in view of all this stuff that we've understood to be true about who God is and who we are, therefore let's live up to that, let's act in that way, let's uh, pursue that purpose, and so on and so forth. You see, we all have a working identity. Beliefs about ourselves through which we interact and engage with others. Beliefs that deeply affect our thinking, our feeling, our speech and behavior. Given that our identity is so important, it's an alarming commentary on our culture, I think. But in the cold light of day, as we reflect, we can see that our identity is shaped, is informed, is created by so many things that are shallow and that are around us. You'd think we'd be very careful about what we allowed to shape our identity. You would think we'd be very cautious about what we allow to speak into our belief system about who we are. But actually we feed on it in all kinds of places. Everything that we put in place of God is an idol. So when we look somewhere other than God to shape our own identity, we have in fact, <coughs> excuse me, we have in fact created for ourselves an idol. Our identity is shaped by these idols and more. 
forms a nice little acrostic, which is pleasing to some. <clears throat> Items, stuff, things. Whether we like it or not, things shape our identity. Certain things make us feel certain about our, confident about ourselves, and not having certain things make us feel insecure about ourselves. The way our car looks, or our house looks, or the clothes that we wear, all feed our sense of identity. We will observe that that's incredibly strong in young people. I'm not going with them unless I can wear those clothes, have those trainers, have that hoodie, whatever it might be. I think it's probably as strong in the rest of us. We just learn to manage it more subtly and in different ways. We allow things to confer value on us. I'm somebody and I belong because I have. I don't have, therefore I'm not really somebody and I don't really belong. We buy stuff, it's been said, we don't want and can't afford to impress people we don't like. Our identity is tied up in so many things. And it, and it does have a strong pull on us, doesn't it? Some of uh, you won't go out if you haven't got makeup on. Some of you uh, won't invite others to your homes because of what you think they might think based on what you have or you haven't got, to based on what you think they think you should have and they have and you haven't got and they've got. So sorry, I'm withdrawing that invitation. You can't come. You won't pop into a shop on the way home from the gym because you wouldn't want people to see you looking like that. I can't go there and do that unless I have the right school bag, the right lunchbox, the right pencil case, the right TV, the right handbag, the right scooter, the right phone, the right whatever it is. All these things are telltale signs that the things around us are feeding our own sense of value and worth, our identity. Our identity is also tied up in the roles that we have, our duties, the things that we do. Sorry. I get my sense of worth and value from the role that I fulfill. I'm a teacher. I'm an office manager. I'm a caretaker, a security guard, a chef, a shop manager, a designer, a doctor. What we do massively shapes our identity. Anybody who thinks that what we do doesn't shape us, just spend a moment or two with someone who is out of work or unemployed for a while. It's not the lack of money or the lack of rhythm, but above all else, that lack of identity that speaks most powerfully into people during times of unemployment. The agony of the question, what do you do? And discovering there's not an answer. We get a lot of our identity from what we do. I'm a lawyer, people respect me, so I feel good about myself. I'm a charity worker, I'm making a difference. I feel good about that. I serve at church, what a good Christian I am. If everyone served like me, well, what a great church we'd be. Uh, what are we doing each time? We're, we're, we're drawing our sense of value and, and, and purpose out of the roles that we have in different ways. So what we think about ourselves gets all tied up, which makes retirement such a, a killer for some people. 
Because suddenly that which has shaped their identity has been taken uh, or seemingly been taken away. Now here's a big one. Our identity gets shaped by others. By others. Hands up if you've never cared what other people think of you. Shaped by others. Oh my word. Who honestly doesn't care about what others think of you? Such a powerful shaper of our identity. What were the dominant messages that you received as a child? Those opinions affected you, molded you, and shaped you for good and for ill. Some of us spend the rest of our lives trying to crawl out from under some of the opinions that people uh, made and expressed of us when we were small and vulnerable. And now in the present, if you're praised for something, your life is worth living. If you're criticized, you feel as good as dead. Our identity can become so inextricably controlled by the opinion of others. And it happens, I think, to all of us to a lesser or greater extent. But it's an incredibly precarious way to live. Monday morning, someone says something good, it's going to be a great week. Someone says something not so good, it's going to be a really difficult week. We leave ourselves at the whim, the vulnerability of other people's feelings and emotions. Are we really letting other people control us like that? Pretty much. Pretty much. So to cope with it, we go to great lengths to present an identity that we know other people will approve of. The trouble with that is that there are different groups of people that we connect with and each group of people approves of different things. So I need to be somebody here so that I get your approval, but I can't be this person there because I wouldn't get the approval. So I have to change a little bit here, and then I change a little bit here, and we find that actually, in the end, we've got no idea who we are. Who am I? Well, it just all depends who's asking. And we've lost our sense of self in our desire for other people to affirm us. Longings. We all carry longings, small longings, hopes and dreams, deep, heart-wrenching, aching longings and dreams in our lives. I'm longing to get that job. I'm longing to get married. I'm longing to have kids. I'm longing to, have my, to get my degree. I'm longing to please my father or mother. I'm longing to get that bonus. I'm longing to move to that house to get better, fitter, whatever it might be. We're all longing for something. And in itself... Maybe there's nothing wrong with those longings appropriately managed and so on. But my experience is that those longings slip so easily into speaking into our identity. It so easily becomes, my life is not much now, but when, whatever the longing is, actually happens, then I'll be somebody. I'm not, my life's not much now, but when I get that job, my life's not much now, but when we move, when we have kids, when we get married, when we, when we, when we, and what we're doing if we're not careful is that we're conferring on our identity in the present a reality that is untrue and unfair and unhelpful. And of course, the longing might never come to fruition. 
And there are a few things in life more agonizing than to long for something, believing that it will create your identity, and then for it not to happen. Or maybe actually there is something worse. To long for something to give you the identity that you're looking for, then it does happen, and it didn't work. Now, there's something right there. Longings feed into this sense of working out who I am, what I am. And there are probably several more, but one more, sufferings. It's so easy for our difficult experiences, for our sufferings, to define us and to become synonymous with our identity. I'm a victim. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a carer. I'm in debt. I'm unemployed. I'm in remission. I'm sick. I'm disabled. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. And I'm not in any way wanting to belittle or to minimize the reality of those experiences in our lives. But are those things really our identity? Is that really gospel? That those things, in the end, before God, are who we are? I don't think so. All of this, all of getting from somewhere or from someone other than God, what we should only get from God has a word. It's this word. It's idolatry. Everywhere we look, everything we listen to, in that place where we should only look to God and we should only listen to Him is idolatry. And if we're to get anywhere with rediscovering our identity and our true selves, we need to name where we are, maybe. And where we are so easily is that we are feeding and allowing our identity to be shaped by the idols all around us. And the utter tragedy of the human condition, is that we realize that we have an identity crisis. And so we try to fix it. How? We try to fix it with even more idolatry. By bowing even more at the altar of these same idols. Like a dog returning to its vomit, we embrace more tightly the very things that are making us sick. Are you with me? I'm not sure. Take this as an example. I don't feel too great about myself, so I'll acquire some more things because that will help me feel better about myself. I've tried to fix my identity issue in things by simply acquiring more things. I've gone back to the very thing that makes me sick in order to attempt to heal me. I'm a bit unsure about myself, so I'll work even harder at my job. I'll serve even more at church because if I do enough duty... I will feel valued and better about myself. I know that when others approve of me, I feel better. So I'll try harder to earn other people's approval. And so we could go on. Do you see, we go back to the very things that have screwed us up, that have messed up our identity in the first place, and try and use those things to fix us. And we wonder sometimes why we don't get fixed. Key point is this. If you were taking notes, you'd write this down. We're living with the belief 
that our true identity is something that we can achieve ourselves. By sacrificing ourselves a little bit more on one or other of these altars. I will achieve myself, for myself, my true identity out of my own effort and achievement. That is a lie from the devil himself. And we'll come back to that in a moment. That is a lie from the devil himself that we can find our true identity out of the things that we achieve. Our true identity, here it is, big message. Our true identity is given by God. Is given by God. God has given us already our true identity. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. That's your identity foundation right there. Right there. Our true identity is received, not achieved. You are primarily, your primary identity is someone already in the image of God. I don't care who you are where you came from, what you look like, what life has thrown at you. You are created in God's image. You bear the imprint of the divine, which means you are of infinite worth already. That you are already of unlimited value. Because you are marked by God Himself. You are the object of His unending, never ceasing, never running out Love, you're precious, you're special, you're valued, you're someone, you're God's own creation. And your identity is already set in stone, secured, safe, unmovable, unshaken. And that's true, even if you wear baggy jeans when the current fashion is skinny fit. And it's still true if you drive a Robin Reliant. And it's still true if you don't have anything to drive at all. That's the point of Psalm 8. You've made them and crowned them with glory and... Who's the psalmist talking about? Us. What God did in creating us. You can't achieve that. That's been given to you. That is who you are. You can choose not to believe it, to rubbish it, not accept it. But you can't change it. And you can't earn it either. It is the truth of your identity. Whatever else you've believed about yourself, this is the truth. You are in the image of the living God. You are his image bearer. And he's crowned you already with glory and honor because he made you that way. You with me? That's who you are. And, and honestly, if that doesn't make you want to stand on the pew and thump your, your fist in the air and go, yes, that's me, then probably you won't do that during your coming to church days. Because that's one of the moments. 
It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a mind-blowing, totally culturally subversive truth. That if we grasped hold of it in the core of our being, would begin to change us from the inside out. But there is something that stops you standing on the pew and thumping your fist in the air. And it's not, we don't do that kind of thing in this church. It's deeper than that. And what stops you, and you're already anticipating it, you say, Simon, you don't understand. I might have been made in God's image, but I've messed up that image. I'm selfish. I'm rude. I think awful things. I'm broken. I'm guilty. I'm a bucket of shame. I'm full of disappointment. Well, seeing as you've mentioned it, yes, you are. But for a minute, I don't care how messed up you are, how much things are broken and twisted, how ugly things have got on the inside of your life. You are made in the image of God. And you matter more than the universe itself. That's your true identity. Come on, people, raise a cheer. That's your true identity. It's not received. Sorry, it is received. It's not achieved. That's the biggest lie from the devil, is that you can achieve something that God has already given you. Genesis chapter 3, we're only a couple of books in, and the whole world gets messed up, as you know. And Satan comes along with a lie, doesn't he? Verse 5 of chapter 3. For God knows that when you eat from it, this is the tree that they weren't supposed to eat on, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. But they already are like God! Chapter 1, he made them in his image. They are already like him. Satan comes along and says, if you want to be like God, then you've got to eat that stuff. They should have said, you muppet. God's already made us in his image. But Eve didn't say that. And Adam didn't say that either. Whatever they were faffing about with, they agreed with the lie that they could do something that would change their identity. Can you see it? But if we do this, then we will become somebody. That's absolute rubbish. That's why I said some moments ago, it comes from the devil himself. It's the heart of all lies that you, of your own effort, can become somebody else. You cannot do that. Our true identity is received, not achieved. But they didn't believe it. They failed to believe in who they already were. And humanity has failed to believe it ever since. And as a result, you're right when you say, I'm selfish, I'm rude, I think awful things, I'm broken, I'm guilty, I'm full of shame and all the rest. You're pretty messed up. So am I. You're right. But don't miss. Don't miss what happens just a few verses later in verse 21. The Lord God, we're still in chapter 3 of Genesis if you're following it. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. God covered their shame with the skin of an animal. What do you have to do to the animal to get the skin? Kill it. There was a sacrifice made to cover. This is amazing, isn't it? There's a sacrifice made to cover their shame. It's a clue. It's a nod and a wink. Can you, can you think really hard, people of God? Another time a sacrifice was made to cover our shame. 
It's a wink, a sign of what's coming. That God himself would become the sacrifice that would cover all our brokenness. And all our shame. So yes, you're an image bearer. Infinitely precious. Yes, that image is messed up, screwed up, trampled on, lost in a pile of guilt and shame in your life and mine. And everything that is ugly about the inside of our lives. But for all of that, Jesus died. You're an image bearer and your sin is forgiven. And your brokenness is healed. And your grubbiness is cleansed. And your guilt is removed. And your hope is awakened. And your future is secured. And your lostness is found. And your sight is restored. Your darkness is turning to light. Your orphan spirit has found a father. That's your true identity. And none of it can be achieved. All you can do is receive it. And say, thank you, thank you, Father. Because it's God's gift to you. I'm not in any way being critical. I totally understand why and the appropriateness of it. But if you go to certain addictive recovery places, what's the first thing you declare? You declare your identity. I am an alcoholic. Is that that gospel in the end for us? Are we always what we were? Is that our true identity? Absolutely not. Your identity or your perception of your identity is not fixed and not unable to change. Maybe you feel like that about something. Maybe something has created for you a a perception of truth. It's It's not true, but it's your identity. It's what you think is true about yourself. It's what you own as who you are. I'm just... That way. That's just who I am. No! We'll have to do something about the recording levels because if we normalize the audio now, that's going to spike there and everything else will be in whisper. Sorry about that. No! No! Because your true identity is your true identity. It's fixed, it's sure, it's certain. Whatever other rubbish you've believed, your true identity is here today for you to take hold of. You see, that might be what you thought you were. It might be how you once lived. It might even be how you are currently living. But this is who you are. This is who you are. Uh, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. We don't believe in recovery. We believe in redemption. Rescue. Rescue back to our true selves. But Simon, you're getting carried away again. I'm not fully restored. The image in me is still broken. Yes, but your identity Your true identity is already yours. God has already given it to you 
even though the process of working it all out is still being completed. You can live even today in your true identity, in what will one day fully be yours. That's the point Paul was making when he said, look, you've got to understand, having spent all of Ephesians 1 talking about identity again, you get the idea of the way he writes his letters. He gets into Ephesians chapter 2, and what he says to them, look, you've got to think like this. You're already seated in that heavenly place. All that identity stuff, it's already yours. It's so already yours, it's like you're already there. It's got to be worked out in the here and now, but it's absolutely certain, it's absolutely confident. It cannot be shaken, it will not be taken away from you. It's yours, so you can live in the light of it now. In a spiritual sense, from God's perspective, it's already happened. That's already who we are. And it's just a question of time before everything else comes into line. So where is your identity coming from today? What are the idols that you need to smash down? You know, when we went through the list, what was the one you think, goodness me, that really is controlling me. That's pulling me. I'm feeding on that to speak into who I am. Why on earth would I listen to all this stuff around when God has already made some massive mega declaration about who I am? I need to smash that idol down. I'm not going to worship it by listening to it anymore. I'm not going to give it my time, my attention, my vision, my thoughts, my thinking, my ears. I'm going to smash it down. Because it's idolatry right there in the heart of my life. And what's the truth from God that you need to receive? You're an image bearer. You're marked. You're marked. Oh, messed up for sure. But there was a sacrifice that's going to cover all that. And in a sense, already has. The kingdom of God is near. So repent. Repent. Sometimes in the Old Testament, very visibly, they would smash the altars that they had come to worship. They'd smash the altars that they'd come to put their trust in. They'd smash the altars that they'd come daily to listen to. Smash the altars that they were feeding on in their hearts. Because they'd taken the place that only God should have. And believe. Believe the word that God has spoken over your life. That you are His and nothing can take you out of his hands. Let's pray. Just invite you to quietly reflect for a moment about those idols. The voices that are going round in your head, the things that you listen to, the people whose opinions are too powerful, the judgments of others, the things you feel like you need to have <coughs> in order to be who you are. Imagine for a moment if some of your roles were taken away. How how would that change how you feel about yourself? Is your trust in the wrong place? Have you made an idol out of serving? Have you made an idol out of your career? 
Have you made an idol out of what you're good at? And the things that you're longing for. Things that may be God's promise that one day will be true. But yet you've made it an idol. You're listening to the voice that says you're, you're not much now. But okay, when that happens, you will be. All the experiences you've gone through, all the sufferings that you faced, you feel like they're defining you today. You can't see past them. I, I am that. Whatever that experience, whatever that suffering, whatever that difficulty has made you feel. as we say no to the idols we say yes to the truth in God's word I am a made in the image of God and for all my brokenness that is true I'm infinitely loved and valued So just quietly as you begin to allow the Holy Spirit to, to, to minister to you. Maybe you find yourself just more dominantly saying no to something. Something that's shaped your identity. Or maybe what you're finding is you, you're just being pulled forward to that knowledge that you are marked by the divine. I can invite you as you just hear that in your hearts and you respond to God, just to stand where you are. It's just a way of saying, hey, God, I'm hearing what you're saying. I'm, I'm standing up for who I am. I, I've, I've thought I've been this and I've acted like I'm the other, but no, I'm standing up for who I am. So as you make your response to God, just invite you as you're doing that, just to stand where you are and just say, yes, I'm, I'm leaning into this this morning.
good God that if my heart thudded out of my chest, I'd uh, come and share what I think he wants me to share, and it's doing that, so. <laughs> um, just everything that Simon's been speaking to about this morning um, is exactly what God's been doing in my life in the last few weeks, and uh, it's just one of those really good mornings when I knew what the answer was when Simon first said, who am I? And I know that it was the right answer today, whereas previously I have a list of things that I would have said that I was. A list of negative things, a list of things that I think about myself that God has been showing me that I don't have to believe anymore. That if I will believe what he says, he will change what I believe. And um, I just want to encourage everybody that Nothing is too big for God. Whatever you think about yourself, whatever you believe about yourself, it's not true if it's negative. Believe what God says about you. Tell yourself what God says and don't allow yourself to listen to what you say because that's the devil and he's lying to you and you don't have to listen. And it's not easy not to listen because it sounds like the truth. What the devil says to us sounds much more real than what God says. But stand up. And believe what God says, and then it will start to sound like the truth, and the lies will sound start to sound like lies. So it's not easy. You have to do it every day, all day, every day sometimes. But I just really want to encourage you to do that, to start to stand up for what God says about you. And I just want to read what I wrote as, uh, as Simon asked who I am, knowing what I would have said. I wrote, I am the precious chosen child of the King of Kings. And I wrote, how amazing that is, that that is my genuine response this morning. So just be really encouraged that God is bigger than anything you think you're struggling with, anything that you think about yourself that really you know is a lie. God is bigger than that and he can change the way you think and he can set you free from that. Stand together, shall we?